Now, it is incumbent upon us lawyers not to just talk about the truth, but to actually seek it, to find it, to live it. Matthew McConaughey was onto something there in that scene from the film A Time to Kill. Because it's one thing to hear what others believe to be true, but it's another to live it out. And it's that last part that makes someone a star witness. But unless we understand who Jesus is for ourselves, we will never be able to encounter the relationship with God that he desires. Amen? Welcome to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp. Here, we hope you'll find answers to some of life's everyday struggles. You can learn more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. As star witnesses, Jesus wants us to live out our faith in such a way that it reflects God's light for others to see. And this week, Charles Tapp continues his series, The Church on Trial, by examining whether the church has been a star witness or if it's guilty of giving false testimony. With part six, The Star Witness. For as long as I can remember, I have had this fascination with these jury-type television shows. And I'm not talking about the kind of shows that are in court reality TV, but I'm talking about the good old court type of shows, shows like Perry Mason. You remember Perry Mason? You just showed your age. And how about Ironside? You remember Ironside? The original Ironside, yeah. How about L.A. Law? I know you remember L.A. Law. And just in the last couple of years, I have grown a love and affinity for the show Judging Amy. You know Judging Amy? And I'm sure that most of you are aware, whether through your own personal encounter or just watching it on television, that usually this battle is waged by each side giving testimony as to what they believe the truth is. And this is usually done by them inviting witnesses, those who have firsthand accounts of what's supposed to have taken place. But if you know anything about courtroom dramas, there is no more, in my opinion, no more compelling testimony than that of the star witness, whose testimony, by the way, is so critical in nature that it almost has the potential of determining the very outcome of the trial. Today, we continue our series, Church on Trial, with part six, and I've titled today's message, The Star Witness. I don't know if you've picked this up or not, but in reading Scripture, I began to notice that there are several themes and language that have to do, have to do rather, with a courtroom-type setting. For all throughout Scripture, you'll see things like the heavenly courts or the courts of heaven or in Job where it talks about Lucifer being the accuser of the brethren. In 1 John, it tells us that Jesus is our advocate. He's the one who stands in our defense. And throughout the book of Hebrews, you hear the writer of the Hebrews talking about this great cloud of what? Witnesses. And then even in the Old Testament, you have a book that's been devoted simply to the title of Judges. So all throughout the Scriptures, Old and New Testament, you see this theme, this courtroom 
kind of theme recurring over and over and over again. And you don't have to know a lot about the proceedings and the legal system to know that one of the first things that takes place in a trial is that one of the lawyers begins to, be, to share his or her what they call opening remarks or opening statements. Now, this is the time not for them to argue the case, but it's simply to give the judge and the jurors a bird's eye view, an overview of what they believe their truth is as it relates to their case. Uh, In researching this, I discovered that many lawyers believe that the opening statement is so critical and crucial that research has shown that this is the strongest part of their defense because this is the time that the jurors are taking in everything that is being said. And it's usually based on their opening remarks that they decide whether they're going to be on the side of the defense or on the side of the prosecution. Today, we want to focus on the book of John. If you know anything about the book of John, you know that the theme of John's gospel is always trying to show and to demonstrate that Jesus is the Son of God, that he's not just an ordinary run-of-the-mill rabbi, but that he is actually who he claimed to be, God in human form. But here's what I discovered this past week that I never really paid attention to before. When you read chapter 1 of John's gospel, It sounds as though John is in a courtroom and he is giving his opening statement or his opening remarks. Let's take a look at that in John chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. Look at what the Word of God says. In the beginning was the what? Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was what, everybody? Made. Look at verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And look at verse 5. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Look at this. Here is John giving his opening statement, his opening remarks as to what he believes the real issue is. He believes that Jesus is this very Son of God. And he begins to list several points in his opening statement. First of all, he says that the Word was in the beginning. Not meaning that the Word was created at the beginning of creation, but in essence, John is saying that the Word existed long before creation, but was there at the beginning. Then it says that the Word was with God, literally translated, the Word was towards God. In other words, the Word was facing God. John is saying here that the Word had active communication and communion with the God of heaven. Then he goes on to say that the the Word and the Father are not identical, but yet they are still one. And Paul, uh, John rather, tries to explain what we still don't understand today, and that is the mystery of the Godhead. How can three be God, but yet still be one? 
And then he says, as he goes on with his opening remarks, in him was life. And everything that has existence owes its existence to this word that gives life. One of my classes I teach here at the university is Fundamentals of the Christian Faith. And one of the things we talk about as we look at the existence of God, we talk about arguments to try to prove that God exists. And one of my favorite is by the theologian Thomas Aquinas from the 17th century. And this is how he explains God and the existence of God. He says, God is the cause of the uncaused cause. Somebody said amen. Did you get that? Thomas Aquinas is saying that God is the cause of everything that exists, but there's nothing that caused him even though he does exist. Amen? Because in essence, think about it. If something or someone created God, then God would no longer be God. So John in his opening remarks is saying, listen, I'm not trying to prove it now, but here's my case. Jesus is God. And no sooner than he finishes his opening statement, John, the apostle, calls his first witness to take the stand. Look at verses 6 to 8 of John chapter 1 as we hear some of the testimony of his first witness. It says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Not John the Apostle, but John the Baptist. This man came for a what? Came for a witness so that he could do what? Bear witness of the light that all through him might do what? Believe. That all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. In other words, John the Apostle is saying that my first witness that I'm calling to the stand has first-hand account of the Christ, the Son of God, and he is here to share his testimony, and his testimony is not that he himself is the light, but yet he has witnessed and encountered the one who is the light and the one who is life. And John himself, John the Baptist, understood his role. Because when you read John, the third chapter, the Bible says that John the Baptist's disciples and some other Jews were having an argument, and they were jealous because Jesus was baptizing and now taking away the light from John. And John put them in their place. He brought it into perspective. John said, listen, I am not the light. My role is to bring the light into focus. I'm the lesser light. He is the what? Greater light. My job is to decrease so that the true light can increase. And then John goes on with his testimony of John the Baptist in verses 15 to 18. Look at it. It says, John bore witness of him and cried out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me is preferred what? Before me. In other words, Johnson, I'm not the light. I'm just making way for the light. For he was before me. And of his fullness, we have all received. And grace for grace. 
for the law was given through Moses. But look at this. But grace and truth came from whom? Through Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 18. No one, because here it is, he's summing it up. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten son who is in the bosom of the father, he has declared him. In other words, he is simply saying, oh, the only one who has been in the presence of God is the word and the word is Christ and Christ is the son of God. So when you read the transcripts of John's testimony, it is very clear that John has made it unequivocally clear whose side he is on. Because that's the very nature of what it means to be a witness. You've got to determine whose side you're on. And when you read John's gospel here, in total, John calls seven witnesses to give testimony that Jesus is the Christ. The first witness we just heard from, that was John the Baptist. But he also called Peter to the stand. He called Nathaniel to the stand. He called the blind man that Christ healed and returned his sight to, to the stand. He called Matthew to the stand. He called Thomas to the stand. But then he called his most important witness to the stand. He called his star witness. He called himself to the stand. And that's important because we can hear what others say Christ is or who others believe Jesus is. But unless we understand who Jesus is for ourselves, we will never be able to encounter the relationship with God that he desires. Amen? Your parents' religion won't do. Your father's religion won't do. Previous generations won't do. It's like the stale manner in the wilderness when the children of Israel were going from the captivity to the promised land. It is stale. The only thing that counts, the only thing that matters is your witness, what you believe that Jesus is for you and in your life. And by definition of the witness, what it means to be a witness, what it means is once you have decided to be a witness, please don't miss this. There is no neutral ground anymore. Once you decide that you are a witness for the kingdom of God, you can no longer just say to yourself and to the world, I am going to live in a state of neutrality. Because once you and I make a commitment to serve Christ, we've got to make a bold stand so that we can be on the stand to stand for Jesus. Because there is, listen to me, there is no neutral ground if you're going to be a witness for the kingdom of God. You're listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and part six of The Church on Trial with his message, The Star Witness. And if you're enjoying this message or you'd like to find others like it, you can find out more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. We'll conclude with the rest of his message right after this. Man, when I think about WGTS, I think about family, and uh, WGTS lifts me up. The whole crew has truly been a blessing in my life, and um, I'm forever grateful for WGTS and what they do for myself and for the community. We are family. 
your support makes a difference. I always uh, encourage people, like you want to listen to something, be encouraged when you're going through a tough time, starting at 91.9, um, they'll definitely up with the spirits. And uh, especially in the trying time we're in right now in society. Working together to impact the nation's capital. We are and I am forever grateful for, for the WGS family because that's exactly what it is, family. And we get to be a part of that as listeners, which is, which is amazing. Listener funded, WGTS 91.9. Always encouraging. At 88.3 on the Eastern Shore. This is Simple Truths for Life. And this week, Charles Tapp calls to the stand the most important witness for Christ there is in the world. Will the evidence stand or be found of false testimony? Well, let's continue with part six of The Church on Trial, The Star Witness. Once you decide that you are a witness for the kingdom of God, you can no longer just say to yourself and to the world, I am going to live in a state of neutrality. Because once you and I make a commitment to serve Christ, we've got to make a bold stand so that we can be on the stand to stand for Jesus. Because there is, listen to me, there is no neutral ground if you're going to be a witness for the kingdom of God. But look at what Jesus says when it comes to being a witness, when it comes to understanding that once you declare your faithfulness to Jesus Christ, you can no longer be on neutral territory. Look at what he says in Revelation chapter 3 as we look at verses 14 and onward. Look at what he says. And to the angel of the church of what? The Laodiceans, right? You You know that church, don't you? Laodicea? That's a church that falls asleep. These things says what? The amen, the faithful and true what? Witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your what? You can easily say, I know your witness. I know your works that you are neither what? Cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are what? Lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. In other words, Jesus is saying, listen, because you are trying to stand in the ground of neutrality, neither to the left or to the right, you are good for nothing. You are useless as a witness, and you're making my stomach upset and uneasy. I remember when my parents would invite family members to come from out of town and We only had three bedrooms. Guess whose bedroom the guests took? No, it wasn't my sister. It was mine. So I decided one day I was just so frustrated of having to always give up my room. I decided to play a little trick on the guest who occupied my bed. So I said to them, would you like a glass of water before you go to bed? They said, sure. Thank you so much. So I went and got a cup, and I put some cold water in. And then the enemy took over. (laughs) And I put some hot water in. And by the time I finished this special mixture, it was neither cold nor hot. It was lukewarm. So I walked in my bedroom and gave it to the person who was occupying my bed. And I said, here. I hope you have a good night's sleep. So I gave them the water to drink, 
And within five minutes, I kid you not, they were making a beeline for the bathroom. You can't be in the middle, Jesus says, if you're going to be a witness. Because by nature of what it means to be a witness, you've got to decide whether you're going to be on the right side or whether you're going to be on the left side. And here's the thing all of us must understand in this Laodicean time in which we are living. When you decide to make up your mind to be a witness for Christ, it will cost you. Sometimes it will cost you your job, your livelihood, your influence, your friends. You know, many of us in this country, we don't understand what it means to stand for Christ and have to pay a tremendous price. I was just reading a report just this past week that was submitted to the United Nations where over 200 million Christians throughout 60 countries are being denied the fundamental things they need for life, not because of their political views, but because they have decided that they're not going to live within the realm of neutrality, but because they have decided they're going to take a stand and be a witness for Jesus Christ. In this country, we may be inconvenienced just a little, but in some parts of the world, you can lose your very life because of the stand you take. And trust me when I tell you, it's not too far off in the distance in this country. So we better decide now whether we really want to stand and be a witness for the kingdom of God. Because it is going to cost you. And that's why the Apostle Paul in Romans 12 and verse 1 urges us. He says, brethren, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, that you present your bodies, talking about your lives, a living sacrifice, a living witness, holy and pleasing to God. And I love how he ends that, which is your true act of worship. Worship is not so much of what we do here in this context. Paul says true worship is our witness on how we live our lives, whether we're giving a testimony to God, determining whose side we are on. And here's the thing that all of us need to remember. For when the ninth commandment says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, the commandment here is not just talking about bearing false witness with our lips and telling a lie, but with our very lives. You see, the lie is when we perjure ourselves with our lips. Falsehood is when we perjure ourselves with our lives that we live. The greatest testimony you and I can give, listen, to build a case for God is not what we say through our lips, but it's what we say through our lives. That's the strongest testimony that you and I have for the kingdom of God or against the kingdom of God. Look at this quotation by David Kinnaman. He's the president of the Barner Research Group, which takes a lot of polls and, and gives us information on statistics as it relates to the church and society. Look at this quotation. He says, being salt and light. We talked about that a few weeks ago in our message, Good for Nothing. He says, being salt and light demands what? Two things. What are those two things? That we practice purity in the midst of a what kind of world? 
of a fallen world, and yet we live in proximity to this fallen world. Did you get that? He says, if you don't hold up both truths in tension, you invariably become useless and separated from the world that God loves. And I want to add to this that we need to be separate from the world God loves instead of being separate in the world that God loves. Our job is not to separate ourselves from the world, but it is to separate ourselves while we are yet in the world, and we do that through the personal witness of our lives. And when you and I fail to be the salt and light that God has called us to be, we are denying the world of the seasoning of God's grace, love, and mercy in their lives. Because it is through our lives, dear friends, that we give a false testimony and perjure ourselves. Plainly put, what Jesus is asking for each and every one of us, he is asking that we be willing to be his star witness. You know what a star witness is, don't you? You've watched enough television drama. You've seen the star witness. They usually say the star witness for last, don't they? That's, that's their ace in the hole. So Jesus is saying to us through his word today, he wants me and he wants you to be his star witnesses. He wants us to be the ones that he can call to the stand and change the entire tide. He wants us to be the ones that he can point out and say, look at him like Job. He is willing to stand. He is willing to shine. He is willing. She is willing. They are willing to be my star witnesses because the whole world is watching. Whenever you have a big profile, high profile case, the star witness is called all eyes are on the trial at that time. And the writer to the Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, that we are encompassed, surrounded by a host of witnesses, those who lived before us, those who stood as witnesses, and now are waiting for us to do the same thing with our lives, and that is to stand and be strong for the witness of God. But here's the thing, as I was researching stars this past week, but do you know why stars give light? Anybody? Putting you on the spot. Because of this thing called nuclear fusion. But here's the thing that I learned this past week that I did not know. And this just blew my mind. Did you know that all stars don't give light? Did you know that? I didn't know that. I thought all stars gave light. I thought that's what it meant by nature to be a star is that you give light. They don't give light. Why? Because during the process of nuclear fusion, they don't have enough fuel to sustain or maintain the light they have, and the light dies out. When I read that, I said, I get what Jesus is saying in Matthew 25 when he told the parable of the ten virgins. Five had enough light, enough fuel to produce light, and that's why they went in. The other five didn't have enough fuel to sustain the light that they had, so they did not go in. But yet, they were all virgins. Jesus is saying through his word today, all of us are stars. Some of us, sad to say, our light is going to go out. 
because we don't have enough fuel to sustain the light that we have. And we know the fuel is the power of God's Holy Spirit. And just like John the Baptist understood, you and I need to understand as well, we're not the light. We just reflect the light of God that is in us. I don't want to be a star that once had light. But because I didn't have enough fuel, enough power to sustain that light, my light died. But I want my light for Jesus and my testimony through my words and through my life when he puts me on the stand to make it clear to everyone in the courtroom that I'm not living in a state of neutrality. I've made my calling and election sure. I am here to give testimony for the defense that Jesus is who he claims to be. Not because someone told me, but because I witnessed it in my own life. Amen. You've been listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and part six of The Church on Trial, The Star Witness. And if you wanna listen again or share it with someone, you can find these messages on platforms like Apple Podcasts and now also on Spotify or visit us online at simpletruthsforlife.org. Now here's what we're working on for next week. We feel more at home with the things of darkness than we do with the things of God's light. And you don't have to look long and hard to discover that. Just turn on your television for five minutes and you will soon discover we live in a culture today that embraces darkness more than it embraces light. And the verdict is in. We hope you can plan to join us as Charles Tapp shares the seventh and last part in his series, The Church on Trial. That's next week. Well, thanks for listening and we hope you'll plan to join us again next week for more Simple Truths for Life.